Hi there, I'm AR. Welcome back to the Lore Research Lab. And if you're new here, welcome to the Lore Research Lab, where I ramble about Nintendo video games. This is the 60th log and the third gag, focusing on two games, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and Super Mario 3D World. Today's thesis, how do these games construct a Nintendo multiverse through a core aspect of gameplay? or something like that. It's time to deep dive, folks. All right, so this is the third installment of the parody series. Here's the fun thing about having this parody series. You don't need to listen to them in order. And the previous two installments are quite different than what this episode will be like. Um, this is just a very quick preamble about what's going to happen. Um, this is essentially my first parody theory, folks. Um, uh, it's going to be entertaining, hopefully, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to try. Um, but of course, because it's still a parody at the end of the day, I'm not going to address any aspects of gameplay or story. I mean, briefly go over it where necessary, but I doubt it. Um, so because that's the case, this is not going to be an episode where you will get a coherent take on the games I'm discussing here. Um, I have the intro episode um, that I did with my uh, trusty partner, RN, partner in crime. Both of us never make sense. You can check that episode out um, uh, to get the, the full, you know, take on Ocarina of Time and its story and whatnot. And then I have an episode uh, called Calamity at Sea, and it's addressing um, Bowser's Fury, which is a game that's connected to Super Mario 3D World. Um, uh, I mentioned 3D World story in that episode, so even though the entire episode itself doesn't, it doesn't stick to talking about 3D World, I do talk about Super Mario 3D World in that episode. There's timestamps, so you can just jump to the parts where I talk about the, the story, because the story for both of these games is probably going to be the most important part of this uh, theory, if you will. Um, uh, that kind of a thing. And then also, you know, there, I have my in, uh, my introductions on Mario. I think they're called Explaining Mario. It's a two-part episode. You can check those out to, if you don't know anything about Mario, you can check those episodes out to get uh, a history of the franchise, principal characters, enemies, and all that fun stuff. That's all I'm going to warn you about, folks. Um, so uh, now you're going to hear exactly what this uh, theory is going to be, what, 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 what this theory entails. No other explanations. Let's get into it. All right, folks. So this is um this is a theory that I want people to take very seriously. Also because um uh just a little over a year ago, um uh I had actually there's a there was a celebration uh episode where um, RN and I, we we celebrated one year of the lab, the Lore Research Lab being in existence. It's pretty momentous. And that is actually where I conceived of this theory for the very first time. But I wanted to build it up in full and I wanted to give it the time it needed to shine because I think this is one of the, you know, standout theories that I think that'll come, that'll, that'll come out of the Lore Research Lab, you know? Okay, so I'm going to talk about uh, kind of the overall, the main part of the story that I want to focus on for each of the games. Um, in Ocarina of Time, it's really only going to be one part of the storyline. And then for Super Mario 3D World, you like it's it's pretty straightforward. You'll get the point. So I'm going to start with Ocarina of Time first. Okay, so in Ocarina of Time, you play as both an adult and as a child. And, you know, you're playing as a protagonist named Link. What else would you be called? 
um, this, uh, there, there's time travel, um, and that's a product of the game's villain known as Ganondorf messing with balance and, and order and stuff by stealing away this divine relic known as the Triforce, um, which gave him the power to take over the land and turn everything into monster-laden areas. It's not fun for anyone living around anywhere. A Link, as an adult, must free these individuals known as sages from their spiritual imprisonment, solving puzzles and navigating the dangers of the temples they are each spiritually attached to. There are um, five that need to be freed, um, but there's six known ones in existence. The first, the first sage, he's already like free and stuff. So he's just like, go free the other ones. So you're like, okay. Um, and there, and there are a number of locations with different climate, different climates and biomes that make each area unique in this, in this, uh, game. Um, so, you know, all the sages are associated with like different elements and stuff. Freeing all the sages will lead to a final standoff against Ganondorf, who captures Zelda prior to the final standoff. Um, she had been dis in disguise up until this point. Um, and then she reveals herself and then, you know, she tells Link, hey, we got to do this thing now. We're all ready to go. All the sages are freed. I'm also free. If you didn't know that already, you're free. Let's stop him. But then Ganondorf's like, eh, not so fast. I got to capture you in a pink crystal first. And she's like, oh, no. And then she gets transported to the castle. And then Ganondorf like laughs evilly and Link has to go fight him now. So Link must travel to Ganon's castle. And the sages will help build him a rainbow bridge to enter the Isle of this floating castle. Because below it is this multicolored lava of death. And you, you can't really walk on like rainbow death lava, you know? Um, so within the castle barriers, uh, within the castle, uh, sorry, within the castle are barriers Link must dispel before confronting uh, Ganondorf um, because there are these extra barriers and the sages, they need to be freed, technically a second round, that kind of a thing. Um, so then when the sages are like permanently freed, so like they're good to go now, for sure, for sure, they're good. Link can then fight Ganondorf. Uh, Ganondorf will try and take Link's Triforce by force, but fails, um, resulting in the two fighting it out. Now you might be wondering, didn't Ganondorf take the Triforce before? That, well, that is true, yes, but because he took the Triforce and it's composed of three triangles, well, one of the triangles went to Zelda and the other one went to Link, so the Triforce as an entity is not whole anymore because Ganondorf went splitsies on it unwillingly. He wanted all pieces, but you can't, what's the phrase? You can't have your cake and eat it as well something like that um anyways that's what happens so anyways link and ganondorf have to battle it out uh ganondorf is defeated and zelda is freed from her crystal prison but he's like no i won't go down like this how could i be beaten just by some forest kid i don't know and then his castle crumbles as as link and zelda escape his his imploding castle um However, you know, when you think it's all over, it's actually not. Surprise, surprise, Ganondorf, using the Triforce, he like soups it up with as much power as possible. He transforms himself into this monstrous boar known as Ganon. He becomes this really nasty looking pig thing that wields swords. It's a bipedal thing. And it, he's got a rainbow tail now. What's up with that? Um, so Link must dodge his attacks and eventually strike a fatal blow to defeat him, and then when he does that, Zelda will call upon the other sages. Surprise, surprise, she's actually also a sage as well. Zelda's also a sage, so there's actually seven in total. Um, so she calls upon the other sages to deal a final rainbow attack on Ganondorf. Um, peace is returned, and thanks to time travel stuff, like Link was like kind of forced to grow up and become the hero, but the Zelda's like, just go back to being a kid, and Link's like, okay, so then 
he goes back to the era when he was a child because everything's fine now. Um, okay, so now let me go over what happens in Super Mario 3D World. So in Super Mario 3D World, uh, Mario, Peach, Luigi, and Blue Toad are just going about their ways, you know, they're, they're going about their, their ways and their days in the Mushroom Kingdom. All is fine, you know? But it turns out Bowser's stirring up trouble in the Sprixie Kingdom and needs to be stopped. There's a green princess Sprixie, and she comes to warn the heroes, emerging from some random pipe. And then she threw a, basically, um, a slideshow presentation. She shows how Bowser's terrorizing the Sprixie Kingdom, uh, but then he captures her and then reveals to have captured all the other Sprixie, so Mario and company need to travel down this pipe and transport themselves to this new land to save the Sprixies, um, imprisoned at their respective castles thanks to Bowser's attacks. So Mario and company must sequentially free each Sprixie, Sprixie which leads them to uh, World 8? World 7, sorry, World 7, which appears to be Bowser's world. Bowser always has this, like, lava, fiery world type of thing, so, you know, you're like, all right, usual business. Once I free this last one, boom, I will have beaten Bowser. Nice. However, um, the thing is, is that this is actually a major plot twist, because um, after freeing the final Sprixie, I believe Bowser's like psych and then captures all of them all over again somehow. And then it is revealed that when you take this very sparkly pipe more upwards into the sky, I'll try and explain that a bit more later, um, you enter this area known as World 8, which is revealed to be Bowser's world. And it's a circus world, folks. Um, cause yeah, he's imprisoned all the, the seven Sprixies all over again, and, but he's, he's actually got this, like, circus for his, like, final world type of thing. So Mario and company then have to go to World Bowser and then fight Bowser in a penultimate battle. Um, Bowser, uh, um, however, uh, in the final battle, he transforms himself into the monstrous cat Bowser and then destroys the surrounding buildings as he chases Mario and company away. Mario and company need to scale this tower and then hit a block and then hope for the best, right? But in the, like while this is all happening, Bowser, like cat Bowser, also creates copies of himself to ambush the heroes. Um, but you know, they scale up the tower successfully, they hit the block, and then Bowser is defeated. So then they successfully free the Sprixies in this very pleasant looking area that low-key looks like a cake. Um, it's a sky cake. Um, they successfully, so every, every Mario and everyone, they, they free the Sprixies, preventing Bowser from retaliating as he goes flying off into the distance. Peace is returned to the land and Mario and company return to the Mushroom Kingdom. All right, that, those are the game contexts that we are gonna be working with folks. It's time to theorize. exactly am I theorizing about here, right? Because, you know, you've, you've heard the kind of um, short, shortened notes or, you know, footnotes version, I guess, of the stories of these games. What does this all mean? Well, there are a series of key points that will show clear correlations between these two games. They are more like the other than you would believe. Um, this is not listed in any particular order, I just listed things as they came to my mind. So both games heavily utilize color motifs, 
Colors are important, folks. So in Ocarina of Time, the sages all have a particular color assigned to them. So there's green, uh, there's, uh, sorry, no, that's the wrong thing. Sprixy colors. We'll start with the Sprixy colors first. You know that, that uh, no wait, I should just do it the, the sage colors because I, I talked about Ocarina of Time first. Anyways, um, okay, so uh, the sages, their, their colors are yellow, green, red, blue, purple, orange, and then the Sprixy colors are green, yellow, blue, cyan, purple, orange, and red. Um, so obviously cyan is the outlier here, but we see a lot of similarities across these colors. As for the heroes of both games, um, there are, there's red, blue, green, and pink. Now, you might be thinking is that if you know anything about Legend of Zelda, you'll know that Link is always seen in a green, a green tunic, right? Well, actually, he is able to acquire different colored tunics in the game. He can get a blue one and a red one. Uh, the red one is fire resistant and the blue one allows him to breathe underwater. So yeah, technically, Link also can appear in the form of red and blue and not just green. Pink? Well, that's Princess Peach and Zelda. And then, of course, if we're talking about the other Super Mario 3D World characters, we got Red, uh, which would be Mario. We got Blue, Blue Toad, and then Green, Luigi. It all makes sense. So you can see that with the Sages, the Sprixies, and the Heroes, they all have a particular color associated with them. I mean, you could even go as far as saying that Bowser would probably encompass orange or something, but you know. Um, you can see that there's a lot of uh, color consistency, right? So again, both games are huge on their use of colors. And then Super Mario 3D World, okay? So let's, let's talk about a little bit about geography, okay? So in Super Mario 3D World, here are the following areas that you can adventure through. So the first world is a grassland. The second one is what I'm calling Desert Lesser. Um, and then the third world is Iceland. And then the fourth world is Desert Proper. And then the fifth world is Seaside. And then the sixth world is just a cloud-like world. And then the seventh one is that lava land, that lava world or whatever. And then the final one is, the, is, ba is Bowser's world, which is just a gigantic circus. Okay, so for comparison, let's look at Ocarina of Time geography, right? Um, well, Ocarina of Time actually has a lot of like a lot of similar corresponding locations. Uh, Ocarina of Time has a grassland. This area would be known as Hyrule Field. It has a desert lesser, which would comprise of the Gerudo Fortress, which is the stronghold situated outside of a mirage desert, and then the Haunted Wasteland, which is the mirage desert. So that's our desert lesser. Then there is an ice land. So when Link is an adult, he can go to this place called the Ice Cavern. And then the desert proper uh, uh, um, corresponding, like the counterpart, that'd be the Desert Colossus, which is the real desert in Ocarina of Time. And then the seaside, well, the thing is, is that, um, the geography uh, uh, of this game in Ocarina of Time, there's no actual like coastal areas. There's just like water bodies, but you know, Lake Hylia could pass off as an ocean. So I could see this being a seaside example. And then the clouds, well, um, let's see, there is an area where Link and Zelda are up in the clouds and this is just before she's gonna send him back in time. Then also maybe the sacred realm is maybe positioned in the clouds. The sacred realm is where 
this like area known as the Temple of Light is located, and that's where Link gets to meet all the different sages and stuff at different points in his journey every time he frees them. So maybe that's up in the clouds. So that's still, I think, a, a, a counterpart. And then Lava Land, well, we have this area known as the Fire Temple. We even have a place called Death Mountain. So, you know, there's lava there in Death Mountain. It's a volcano. Um, and then Circus Land. Easily Ganon's castle. You remember the the rainbow death lava below his castle? Like, you know, circus land. It's a circus. And then there, and then also, even to get into his like chamber where he's ominously playing this organ, you go out, you have to go up like a series of different winding stairs. And there's different colors for each sets of stairs. So it's like it's very colorful. It's a bit of a fever dream, but it's very colorful. Um, so we can see that each of these two games, they have corresponding geography to one another. There's a lot of similar biomes that they're dealing with. So um, geography, uh, the colors of the heroes, the colors of the Sprixies, and the colors of the sages, well, it's uh, common across uh, all of them. Um, uh, the thing with Bowser I mentioned before, right, is that his color might be orange, right? Well, then Ganondorf's color is probably purple. So, you know, those are two other colors that we see across the Brixie colors and the Sage colors. So, you know, it's all it's all still consistent, you know? So let me talk about the Sages and the Sprixies. So there's seven Sprixies and there's seven Sages. All are imprisoned twice. Let's go in order. So um, I'll, I'll start off with the Sprixies first. So um, the green Sprixie, and the Sage of Forest are the first ones to be imprisoned, okay? So that's common between the two games. Um, let's go through um, a list of the Sprixie princesses. So first we got the green Sprixie princess, and her name is Princess uh, uh, Gaia. Then the, we have the yellow Sprixie, this is Princess Stella. We have the blue Sprixie, Princess Water Waterill. Then we have the science Sprixie, which is Princess Crystal. Then we have the purple Sprixie, Princess Magica. Orange Sprixie, Princess Rockan, and then Red Sprixie, Princess Calienta. Okay, how does this compare to the Sages? So in we have the Sage of Forest, this is Saria. We have the Sage of Fire, Darunia. We have the Sage of Water, uh, Ruto. Sage of Shadow, Impa. Sage of Spirit, Niburu. Sage of Light, Raru. And then the final Sage, Zelda. Well, um, so, you know, Princess Magica, well, you know, it's actually kind of funny because um, uh, that, that would be the color of purple and Impa doesn't really use magic, but she can teleport. So I, I, there's a comparison there to be had, you know, Saria and Gaia both end with the letter A. They're both the green ones in the group. Um, uh, Calienta and Darunia rhyme and they're both attributed to the color red. Um, uh, the thing is that the Cyan Sprixie and the Blue Sprixie can both be attributed to Ruto because she is the Sage of Water, but her her like her her homeland and her people are frozen under ice. So you know, crystal ice, Cyan, like the the colors it corresponds, um, as well as of course Waterill because you know water and stuff like that's obviously a very clear comparison. Um, you know, even Princess Rockan could probably be attributed to Darunia because he comes from a group of rock-eating people. Um, Niburu, though, could maybe even correspond to that, too, because she's, like, the Sage's spirit, but, you know, the Desert Colossus is, like, her headquarters, and there's, like, rocks and stuff there, you know? 
Um, obviously, Stella is a bit of an outlier, but so is Raru. So they actually share that in common. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different uh, comparisons that we could make. Um, Zelda, of course, can find some way to resonate with all of these Sprixies in some shape or form. Maybe the one she would close, uh, closest aligned to would be Princess Stella, and you know, their names rhyme, so maybe you can make a case for that as well. Sure, Raru and Zelda don't have as clear connections to the other Sprixies, um, but there are still connections to be made, and there is definitely substantial proof to these claims, you know? Okay, next point. The villain transforms into three phases and into a beast, a pig and cat, respectively. Um, so let's see. With Ganondorf, first he starts in this human form, then he's on the brink of death, so he destroys his castle, and then his third and final form is his monstrous pig form. Um, does Bowser transform three times? Yes. <laughs> You thought, you thought I was gonna say no and that I was reaching, right? No, he actually does transform three times. Um, the first time is, well, he doesn't actually transform, but he has three phases. So just like Ganondorf, he has his normal form as Bowser, the form that we know him in best. Then his second form is Cat Bowser. Then his third form is duplicated Cat Bowser. So, you know, he's actually quite similar. He just opted for a different uh, method of approach, you know? Um, Ganondorf opted to turn himself into a pig and just invest all of his strength into being in the pig form, while Cat Bowser not only became a cat, he also multiplied himself to increase his, his attacking power, because then he could attack from different angles because there's copies of him, you know? Um, both Cat Bowser and Ganon or Ganondorf create a domain of their own in an area they do not normally reside within. So, um, and both are characterized by rainbow elements. So Ganondorf, when he takes over the land, he turns Hyrule Castle into Ganon's castle, his own castle, with these rainbow aspects to it. Um, and, you know, Bowser doesn't belong to the Sprixie Kingdom. He's known to reside in the same world as Mario, Peach, Luigi, and Blue Toad. So, you know, what we know is the Mushroom Kingdom. He's he's part of that world, right? Well, he takes up residence in the Sprixie, in the Sprixie Kingdom by creating World Bowser which is a circus world. So it's got a myriad of colors. And uh, again, the rainbow element still consistent between our villains. Um, so uh, we another, uh, another point I'd like to make is that we have a protagonist clad in green, Luigi and Link. Their names both start with L. That can't be an accident. Um, uh, and then we have, uh, as also part of the, the hero group, right? We have a princess who aids the hero. Um, so. Peach is not captured this time, right? She is just like a like she's a hero this time, just like our other three folks, you know. Um, so she's helping out because they're all helping out each other. But I'm just pointing out this particular comparison because Zelda also helps Link in disguise. Granted, I mean Peach doesn't do things in disguise, but Zelda does. But even then, Zelda's still helping out. Um, and then the princess can do things others can't, and vice versa. Like so, like Link can do things can do things Zelda can't, but then Mario, Luigi, and Toad can do things Peach can't. Peach can like float and hover in midair very briefly, um, uh, but she moves quite slowly. Uh, Zelda can use magic. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, Link can't use magic, but he can wield the sword. Mario is pretty average, but Luigi can jump high and Toad can run real fast. So all the heroes have things that they are, they have strengths in and differ from one another. But the particular comparison of the princesses correspond to these differences, you know? 
Um, another point to make is there are shortcuts in between the lands. So in Super Mario 3D World, there's a shortcut between World 1 to World 2. Uh, so this would be the grassland to the desert lesser, and then World 4 to World 5. So this would be the desert proper and the seaside uh, area, I believe. Um, now in Ocarina of Time, there are a couple shortcuts. So there's a, a shortcut from the forest known as Kakiri Forest to Goron City, which is uh, located near Death Mountain. And then there's also like in the in a very similar part of Kakiri Forest, there's also a shortcut to the entrance of Zora's Domain, which is like uh, where the anthropomorphic fish people live. Um, and then from Zora's Domain, there's also a shortcut to Lake Hylia, which is like the largest water body in the region. Um, so yeah, there are these uh, shortcuts in existence. Um, uh, and they span across the lands, as you can see. So both games possess these land shortcuts. And then another point is that the villain plans to return in some shape or form um, and after being defeated. So at the end of the game of Ocarina of Time, Ganondorf says, I will be coming back. And the thing is that with Bowser, even though he goes flying off into the distance, of course, he always survives. He's always going to come back. So we know with Bowser that he's going to come back as well. Um, the villains also dispatch other enemies to do their bidding. Um, so Ganondorf uses all kind of monsters to, to put ob obstacles in the hero's way, in Link's way. Um, well, Bowser does something very similar because, you know, there's like Goombas and Koopa Troopas and the footballer guys and uh, um, the spikes, uh, lots of spikes. And then those ant things that I forget the names of. And then, then the piranha plants, lots of piranha plants. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of enemies in Super Mario 3D World that uh, make traversing the lands quite difficult at times. Um, so that's pretty common between both the villains as well. Um, technically, between the two games, there's also this transportation to another land or time. So Link goes forward in time. He's a child to, to begin with, but he goes forward in time because he takes this sword out of the stone, this, the master sword out of the stone. Because he takes that, that's, that sword out of the stone, he's like forced to be fast forwarded into the future. Um, so yeah, it's the same land and, and whatnot, but it has drastically changed from when he was a child. Some places are completely destroyed. Um, other places are relatively the same, save for the monsters that now inhabit the areas. Um, and uh, it's a different time period and the land itself has experienced some change. And of course, with Mario and company, well, they all go down a pipe and then just enter this random world known as the Sprixie Kingdom. It's a completely new area. It's not the Mushroom Kingdom. It's a, it's, it's a different place. Um, then the next point I'd like to highlight is power-ups and the Triforce. They're basically the same thing. Um, uh, Ganondorf is able to turn himself into a gigantic boar using the Triforce's power. And we know that in Mario games, especially in Super Mario 3D World, there are a plethora of items for Mario and uh, Luigi, uh, Peach and Toad, Blue Toad for them to use, um, such as the bell item, which turns them into cats. Um, there's that. There's also the cherry item, which allows them to duplicate themselves. There's the fire flower. Um, there's... Uh, there's there's a lot other ones like there's the the raccoon suit there's also that one um uh but yeah the cat is like the most common one it's 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 probably the most useful as well because you can climb up different surfaces and things like that so power-ups and the triforce are basically the same thing because um 
Link also has like, I mean, the Master Sword is technically his most used power-up, but he also has the Triforce as well. So he has that power-up, Zelda has that power-up and she can use magic. So uh, it's pretty similar across the two games. Um, in this way, both the heroes and the villains can power themselves up. If that wasn't already clear, you can see that being the case in both of these games. And I guess one other notable point that I want to highlight is that both games possess crumbling buildings. Some, uh, this, this appears more than once in Super Mario 3D World because there are some levels where the building is literally falling apart and you need to climb to the top and escape out of it because if you don't do that, you're, you're gonna lose. Um, but the final battle, especially in both games, possess crumbling buildings. Um, if Mario, Peach, Luigi, and Bluto don't make it to the top of the tower in time as Bowser is chasing them, um, well, then you lose. And then the thing is, is that in Ocarina of Time, if Link and Zelda can't get out of the castle as it is falling apart in time, then they lose. It's, it, again, same stakes that they're dealing with, the concept of the crumbling buildings. This is all to say that between these two games, there is an unlikely multiverse being constructed. The concept of freeing others in order to defeat the villain is consistent between these two games. And I believe this can probably be applied to many other Mario and Legend of Zelda games. This is, these are like some things that we need to be looking out for, you know? Um, so just as like some other notes, independent of what happens in these games. So Super Mario 3D World came out in originally in 2013 and was ported to the Switch last year in, two, in 2000 uh, and in 2021. Um, Arcane of Time originally came out in 1998, but its remake came out in 2012. This means that, well, Super Mario 3D World was uh, released basically a year after the remake of Ocarina of Time. So given that these games technically come out at similar times in the history of the Nintendo company, then we can see that Super Mario 3D World is probably the one that drew inspiration from Ocarina of Time. Um, Ocarina of Time con uh, conceived of the rainbow superpower concept where you gather all your colors, you get Roy G. Biv, or a version of Roy G. Biv, a version of the rainbow, because you do get a lot of colors. Uh, using colors to defeat the villain, yeah, Ocarina of Time would have done it first before Super Mario 3D World, but then that inspiration is very clear that one comes before the other. Um, so that also adds to this broader theory. Um, as a side note, Super Mario 3D Land, which was not released on the same console as Super Mario 3D World, features an area using a Legend of Zelda sound effect. And I believe that this is foreshadowing because this game was released, I believe, in 2011. So it would have come out before the remake of uh, Ocarina of Time. Um, it would have been before 2012. Um, so that's also really cool when you think about it. Um, that it's using sound effects that we're not even supposed to hear yet. So, you know, this is our nod showing that these, these two games actually have a connection between the two of them, especially the fact that it's no accident that there's seven Sprixies and there's seven Sages. And for the most part, the Sages can correlate to the Sprixies as well. Um, this is to say that it's it's possible that, you know, Princess, the green Sprixie princess known as Gaia, maybe she is connected to Saria in some way. Maybe the green Sprixie was originally a forest spirit in Kakiri Forest, you know? Um, maybe uh, Rakan came from the desert and uh, would be related to the Sage of Spirits somehow. Maybe Rakan was the original Sage of Spirit, folks. Who knows? Um, only time will tell. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, I mean, obviously it is a big difference that the princesses of each respective game do have different roles. Zelda isn't a playable character in Ocarina of Time, the Peach is. That's the only notable difference between them, though. They can use power-ups, or magic in Zelda's case. They both dress in pink. Um, they both um, are extremely helpful to everyone else. You kind of need them to make things work. Um, and yeah. So, um, and then, you know, the concept of traveling through time and space is consist is a consistent theme between both games. Um, uh, that kind of a thing, because when you think about it, um, Mario and everyone else in company, they have to travel through uh, pipes and stuff. Um, well, for Link, he just has to put a sword in a stone and then he can travel through time. So they can use different modes of, of traveling. Um, but they possess very similar elements to it. I know that Mario and company are not like going to, through different time periods, but I would say some time displacement is happening considering that they're not in their original world where the Mushroom Kingdom is and they're in their, this completely new world known as the Sprixie Kingdom. Like that's gotta count for something, you know? Um, uh, and fun fact, there is a little like rainbow bridge, I think that's in like the Cloud Kingdom. So again, the reoccurrence of rainbows, colors are important folks. I used to think that colors were only important in the Legend of Zelda franchise. I've been proven wrong with this theory, to be completely honest, because it's not that colors were never important in the Mario games. It's just that it didn't really occur to me until I kind of started making this comparison a little bit more and spending time making notes and whatnot about uh, like the importance of color theory and how that can apply to different video games and that there's a way to connect the worlds of two different video games. Um, now, of course, the geography differs immensely between the two games, so it'd be hard to line up if there's any clear history between these two lands, and if Hyrule and Ocarina of Time corresponds to the Sprixie Kingdom in any way, that'd be very hard to tell. But, just like uh, the shifting of Pangea, you know, uh, anything can happen. Continental shifts, it's just a part of the planet's process, folks. So, because that is the case, then maybe there 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 is something to be said for uh how time has affected these two different lands and if it's possible for uh um you know uh the 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 geographies of these lands being connected in some way maybe if you replay through super mario 3d world you will start to see these kernels um of truth or uh, that exemplify these connections. Because once you get to, once you start off in that, in the first world where it's grasslands, you'll be like, huh, the forest, hmm, that's what I'm thinking of when I'm here. Um, and that kind of a thing. And the fact that there's a secret passage that you can access in world one, much like you can in Kakiri Forest. Um, and, you know, uh, when, this is something else to note, is that in Ocarina of Time, yes, I know I didn't talk about the child timeline as much, but when you first begin the game and Link's still a kid, he first starts off in the forest, and then the next place you go to is the mountain. Well, the thing is, you go to the Desert Lesser second, and geographically, there are a lot of similarities between the Desert Lesser and the mountain area that Link needs to go through in as the second step process. And then the Iceland is third, right? Um, and of course, you know, there isn't any ice yet, 
in the water area of Hyrule that Link needs to go to after going to the mountain. Um, but again, we know that it will possess ice at some point in time. Water is, is, a, is a liquid and it's a substance that can change form, you know, like it can be melted, it can be frozen, right? And because of the freezing process, we know that like water can be frozen, that there is a clear correlation between the what will become a frozen Zora's domain in the future of Ocarina of Time, and then the ice land, the ice world that we get in Super Mario 3D World. There's a very clear connection um, between those two geographies in a way. So even from the from the beginning of uh, Ocarina of Time, we can already see that there are a lot of similarities between these two games. So uh, I'm just suggesting, folks, that we just got to be looking at more for these connections and the fact that, well, Super Mario 3D World is doing something really interesting here. And Ocarina of Time like probably innovated it first. Like they, they, they conceived of it with Ocarina of Time and then they've refined it differently in the form of Super Mario 3D World. Um, so I think this is the kind of thing we need to watch out for in other Mario games and other Legend of Zelda games to see how these two very, these two varied franchises and they, they differ from each other so much well, actually, I think they possess a lot more similarities than they can. So again, there might be this kind of multiverse going on uh, where all these other different games, we can put them all on a timeline and we can see how they all relate to one another and how the heroes of each different universe um, all come into one at some point, or maybe they all walk the same earth, you know what I mean? Um, so these are all like really important considerations when we think about theorizing about these franchises, about these games. Um, and I know that I'm going to keep my eye out or my, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep a watchful eye and a listening ear out. I'm going to be looking out for the, these connections a whole lot more. Um, so this is the Lord Research Lab's findings on how do these two games construct this kind of multiverse or these other kind of lore connections through a core aspect of their games, like the gameplay and their characters, the premise of the games. And this is a discussion of the, this is regarding The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Super Mario 3D World. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and I'll see you next time.